Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. Hey, my name's Stephen, and uh, I'm glad you've decided to join us this morning. We're wrapping up our series called Summer Camp. We've been studying the stories of where Jesus meets people one-on-one. -on -one. We started 13 weeks ago. It was early June, and here we are now, the last Sunday of August, wrapping it up. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 19. We're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a... Wee little man, a wee little man was he. Some of you are new to church, and you're like, what is happening right now? That's a song that many of us sang in Sunday school to hear the story that we're going to hear this morning. Our idea of summer camp is that nostalgic look back to going to camp as a child. Sometimes you had moments with Jesus that you thought, this changes everything. And maybe it did for some of you, and maybe for others of you, that was just it was childish. It was camp. Right? It was just something you did if you were a good person or if you went to a certain church. You go to church camp, uh, but you left Jesus at camp. And so we've been looking at these stories, and the story we're going to look at today is the story of a guy who, uh, when he showed up to camp, everybody wondered, why is he at camp? He doesn't love Jesus. He's not a good person. He's not going to sing the songs. He's going to cut in line. He's going to cheat at dodgeball. He's going to disrupt our cabin time. Why is he at camp? We're looking at that guy this morning. Some of you were that guy at camp. That guy has a name in this story. It's Zacchaeus. He's a short dude. I can relate. Zacchaeus was known for climbing the corporate ladder. I mean, he made it to the top of success. He's known as a chief tax collector. It's not exactly known how much of a territory he oversaw, but we do know that he's very rich. The story makes it very clear. But in this story, we're going to see Zacchaeus not climbing the corporate ladder of success, but climbing up a sycamore tree on the outskirts or into Jericho. Now, Jericho is a historically significant city for the Israelites, one of the first cities they took over when they entered into the Promised Land. Jericho was also economically vibrant. It was a port city and therefore um, produced lots of tax revenue for the Romans. And so Zacchaeus holds a very important position and would have been a very well-known figure. Infamous, though, not necessarily liked, loved, or adored. Now, this is not the first time we've come across a tax collector in our story. Earlier in camp, we met a tax collector by the name of Matthew, who followed Jesus and uh, converted and, and gave up his job as a tax collector in order to follow Jesus. Now, I would have imagined after Matthew had come to Jesus, if you would have said, now, Matthew, out of all the tax collectors, out of all the ones that you know... Can you name a couple who you think would never come to Jesus, would never surrender their life to Christ, would never enter into the kingdom of God? Oh yeah, there's one. He's short. His name's Zacchaeus. He's the chief over everybody. The dude has stolen more, extorted more, um, uh, ripped money out of poor people's hands more than anybody else. From the story, we can see there's a bit of pride in Zacchaeus. Uh, we can see that he is not well-liked uh, either by the religious people, nor do there seem to be any friends in Zacchaeus' life in this story. And so here we have a guy who has driven his life into his work, and he has accomplished much from that perspective. We're going to see what happens when that guy meets Jesus. 
You could say that Zacchaeus is a not a chance in the world salvation type of person. And last week we saw how money is spiritually dangerous. We saw that through the story of the rich young ruler. And Jesus said, uh, for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of God, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle, right? This line that we're not exactly sure what it means, but it means it doesn't happen very much. And so here now, just two stories later, we see a rich dude. I can't go too further without just saying this. For those of you who were here last week in the story of the rich young ruler, we see in these stories parallels and differences. The rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, both wealthy. The rich young ruler and Zacchaeus both approach Jesus. But then there's differences. The rich young ruler is known as moral, good, clean. Zacchaeus is known as sinful. I wouldn't go so far as to say evil, but certainly not moral. And at the end of the story, the rich young ruler is going to walk away sad, and he's still going to have all of his money. At the end of the other story, Zacchaeus is going to walk away happy, and he's going to give all of his money away. So there's our setup. During this story, we're going to see two barriers to entry of the kingdom of God, three realities of the kingdom of God, and two results or two ways of knowing you've entered into the kingdom of God. And we'll see that in our story as we go this morning. Here's what we see about Zacchaeus. It says he was a chief tax collector. He was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. You and I never know who's seeking Jesus. Part of what this story reminds us of is that people's exterior, or when we associate certain things with certain people, either because of how much money they make, because of the way they look, because of how it is that they dressed when they showed up to camp, or for whatever reason, we have no idea who's seeking Jesus. It's why we believe in a God of miracles, who when we think of the people in our lives, there's not a chance in the world they're going to come to salvation. Zacchaeus was one of those guys. Maybe it's a reminder for you and I to begin praying again, inviting, sharing with, telling our story to those people in our lives that we think, well, there's not a chance they're going to come to salvation. If there's somebody in your life right now that you picture and you think there's not a chance in the world they're coming to Christ, put them at the top of your prayer list. That's who Zacchaeus was. He was a not a chance in the world this is going to happen. But despite his wealth, his power, his status... There's something underneath. There's something underneath in Zacchaeus' life that was missing. And so he sought Jesus. He saw Jesus. So as Zacchaeus is approaching Jesus, we see a few obstacles, though, show up. It says, as he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. The first barrier to the kingdom of God can be the crowds. The crowds. Now, this has been in so many of our stories this morning uh, that, or I'm sorry, this summer, that we almost have to look at this now as like a universal truth. And here's the universal truth, that religious people can impede seekers from finding Jesus. One of the barriers that we have seen over and over in the stories is religious people stopping true seekers from getting to Christ. Now, today, we don't call uh, the religious people the crowd. Today, we call religious people the church. That's what we call it. 
And so we have to stop because we've seen this in almost every single story and ask the question, is there a way that church is done or is there an attitude that church people pick up that stops true seekers from coming to Jesus? Because the stories keep going back to it over and over. By the way, to those out there who would say, well, I'm, I'm a seeker today. I'm, I'm seeking Jesus don't let the crowd ever stop you from seeing Jesus. Don't let the crowd or the people who say, no, this is what Christianity is all about, but maybe that doesn't um, jive with what, what you feel like this, this Jesus is calling you to or, or what you think Christ is, but you see people who claim Christianity but live a way that makes you actually want to run from Jesus. Don't, don't let that stop you. It didn't stop Zacchaeus. He didn't let the crowd stop him. He didn't let the crowd of religious people who are standing between him and Jesus stop him from seeing Jesus. It's also a reminder to us, friends, that we have to be a crowd of people that don't stop seekers from getting to Jesus. That in our attitudes or our um, practices or in how we operate, that what should be more important to us is not our personal preferences or ideas, but on seekers finding Jesus. You know, a couple of years ago, probably 15 years ago, 10 years ago now, um, it got really popular to um, make fun of or put down what was called the seeker-sensitive church movement, that it started about 20, 30 years prior to that. I'm giving you a little bit of modern church history. And people would ask the question, like, where is that in the Bible? Well, let me read to you Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The scripture is filled with encouragement to believers to operate in such a way that is conducive to seekers finding Jesus. That's why over and over in our gospel stories, Jesus is always looking at the religious people and saying, y'all go have your own party. I'm going to go find people who actually want to worship me. Friends, we have to have eyes that say, are we creating environment that allows the seeker to get to Jesus? Second thing that can be a barrier to entry or that is a barrier to entry to the kingdom of God is this. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd. So the crowd was the first thing. He couldn't do it. The second is he was short. He was small in stature. Now, as a five, six man in a six foot world, I can understand this, right? Zacchaeus literally couldn't see. Well, let's take it a step further. There was something inherent in Zacchaeus that impeded his ability to see Jesus or to get into the kingdom of God here. There was something inherent in, it, in, his, in his nature or his stature. What's the second thing? Our stature or our nature. There's something inside of us that stops us from entering into the kingdom of God. It's not our height, okay? Short people, we're good. It is. It's, it's something else in our nature, our sinful nature. That is, there was something in Zacchaeus that stopped him, that he was born with. There's something that we're born with that stops us from barrier to the entry of the kingdom of God. It's our sinful nature. Now, how did Zacchaeus overcome this inherent flaw? He climbed a tree. This is a grown adult man wearing a skirt, climbing a tree. This is weird in any culture. What's the point? He had to humble himself. He had to become foolish. He had to look ridiculous. He had to put down his pride and he had to want Jesus more than his status. And he did, so he acted a fool. 
Getting to Jesus is worth looking like a fool with your skirt in a tree. No amount of intellect, no amount of success, no amount of, look at me, I'm the one who has it all together, matters when coming to Jesus. Paul would say, it's foolishness to those who don't understand. Jesus would say, you have to have the faith of a child. A child? Not the intellect of a giant. The faith of a child. There is something about entering into the kingdom of God that says, if you're not foolish enough or crazy enough to climb up a tree, to look like a fool to everyone else around you, then you're not ready yet to enter into the kingdom of God. If your pride is still more important to you, if how people perceive you is still more important to you, if you look at certain elements of the story of Jesus and you think, no, this is just, that's ridiculous. I, intellectually, I just can't swallow that. I just can't believe that. Paul says it sounds like foolishness to the world. Foolishness. That part of entry into the kingdom of God is humbling yourself to look like a fool to the world around you. But if you look past the crowd, or if you look past the way religion can distort Jesus, if you're willing to humble yourself, if you're willing to play the fool, oh, look what, I, what, look what can happen. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And this line by Jesus brings up for us three realities of entry into the kingdom of God. The first is that Jesus initiates entry, excuse me, entry into the kingdom of God. Jesus calls him by name, Zacchaeus. <laughs> wow. Have you ever had the, one of those moments when like, when, you're, when your heart stops or, or you're like, oh, I mean, Zacchaeus must have had that moment. He's up in the tree. He's looking like a fool. Everyone's there standing around him, all the religious people. And Jesus stops and he calls him by name. Think about how he must have felt in that moment. He doesn't even know where Jesus is going with this right away when he says Zacchaeus. Now he gave Jesus a chance by like climbing up into the tree, by looking past the crowd. Jesus calls him by name. Calls him by name. Do you realize that Jesus calls you by name? That he calls you by name? That he knows you? Has he made your heart race? The personal call of Christ on your life? Even if you think you're the last person that should experience redemption. Or let me, let me say it for somebody else in your life. Do you realize that person, that brother, that sister, that friend, that coworker, that enemy, that Jesus knows that person by name? That Jesus would call them to redemption? But have you sensed Jesus calling you by name? That he knows you? Hurts, fears, worries, concerns. Jesus calls us by name. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he says, hey, I'm coming over. Open up the door. Zacchaeus hasn't even invited him. 
Zacchaeus has not done anything. And to this point, Jesus embraces us before we repent, not because we repent. That does not negate the importance of repentance. Of course, repentance is essential. But Jesus decides that he's going to Zacchaeus' house before Zacchaeus ever does anything moral. Zacchaeus hasn't offered up his money yet. He hasn't repented. He hasn't said his sorry. He's just climbed up a tree and looked past the crowd. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, I'm, I'm coming over. You can't stop me now. Do you see the beauty of grace? Jesus embraced relationship with Zacchaeus, not because of the good things he had done, but because Christ was good. Now, Zacchaeus later is going to do a whole bunch of really good things in line with his repentance. But at the moment that Jesus says, I am going to your home, I am going to be in relationship with you. Zacchaeus has not done one moral thing yet. Oh, this is beauty of grace that Jesus would call us by name, that he would welcome himself in when we were yet enemies, when we were still sinners. The beauty of grace. Now notice, as we move through the story, Jesus is not gonna tell Zacchaeus to do anything with his wealth. Jesus just shows him redemption and grace and then freedom springs forth. You know what we just witnessed? We witnessed the camel going through the eye of a needle. I mean, two stories before, Jesus says, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And then like one day later, two stories in your Bible, a rich man is entering the kingdom of God. Why? Because those not a chance salvations are possible in Christ. Because we ought to believe in them. We ought to pray for them. We ought to trust that the gospel is powerful enough to break into the heart of even the coldest, hardest sinner. And so it does, just two chapters later. And this is a miracle of salvation. And it also shows us our third reality of the kingdom of God that salvation can happen anywhere and it affects everything. This wasn't in the synagogue. This wasn't in the temple. Later, it's gonna end up in Zacchaeus' home, but it starts just on the side of the road. Salvation can occur at any moment and at any time. And look at the nature of this conversion. The nature of this conversion is it is sudden. I mean, Zacchaeus, it would appear a day before, is uh, extorting people's money. And the next day, boom, salvation Everything changes. Some of you have felt this type of conversion. You sensed Jesus calling you. You bowed your knee and you were never the same. You stopped sin. You started pursuing Jesus. You left old things behind. And you've got one of those stories and it's powerful. And not every salvation is like this. Not every conversion is like this. Other conversions, they're slow. I mean, they're slow. It's like God's been chipping away at you for years. Decades, maybe. Chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And the freedom that we're about to show that Zacchaeus has felt, felt as a result of his conversion, 
is something you've never felt, but you've been going to camp every year, every week for years, and you haven't sensed this type of freedom. So maybe conversion wasn't sudden for you, uh, but it doesn't mean it can't happen suddenly again in a moment. You ever heard the expression, they're a 20-year overnight success? Like all of a sudden, a business comes out of nowhere, and everyone's like, they're an overnight success. No, you haven't seen the 20 years of work under the radar. For some of you, Jesus has been working under the radar for 20 years. He's been chipping away, showing you he loves you, not letting you go. And there have been times when you have wandered, times when you have walked away, times when you have closed up your Bible and you said, that's it, I'm done, I don't want anymore. Times when you just forced yourself out of sheer will or habit to show up to church. And so you just kept doing it and you just kept doing it. And all along the way, Jesus was chipping away. But what was he chipping away towards? This moment. This moment of freedom, of entry into the kingdom of God. And maybe that moment is today for you, where the years of chipping away finally concludes as you enter into the kingdom, trusting Jesus as Savior and King. Now, let me give you two ways you can begin to identify if you've entered into the kingdom. So he hurried and came down, and he received him joyfully. I'm going to come back to that word joyfully. And when they saw it, they being the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I showed this to you, uh, this particular verse, um, when we talked about the previous tax collector a couple of weeks ago, that all three times in the scriptures when they mention tax collectors, they also mention the religious people. And every time they mention the religious people, they mention them grumbling that the religious people or the crowd has a tendency to grumble. That one of the ways you might know, are you on team tax or team grumble uh, or team religion or team I'm free in Jesus is the level of grumbling present in your life. And I guess it's probably not bad to have grumblers around because they need to experience actual redemption in Jesus. But we better not let the grumbler set the tone. Let me tell you who should set the tone. Zacchaeus says he ran away joyfully. Joyfully. I'll add to that word freedom. There's now a hurried little step in this short dude. He's overcome by a contagious joy, a new energy. See, there's a difference between gospel transformation and religious obligation. The rich young ruler couldn't get past his religious obligation, and so he walked away from Jesus sad. Zacchaeus has experienced gospel transformation, which produces freedom. This is the beauty of a gospel flip. What once ruled him he now rules over. What was once his source of joy, collecting money, now his source of joy is releasing money. Have you found this joy? Like, do you know the joy of freedom in Christ? Where your seeking finally comes to an end 
because Christ sought you out and won you when he called you by name. There's parables all over the Bible, all over the gospels that talk about what this is like. In one place, it's compared to a lost sheep going out and the shepherd finding the sheep. Another way, uh, it's shown about a woman who loses her, uh, basically her inheritance or her ability to function financially, and then she finds it all. These are just metaphors. Another metaphor uh, is like if you found a, a treasure in a field and you said, I have to have this field so badly that you go and you sell everything that you have so that you can buy the field. Metaphor after metaphor. And what it's showing, what every metaphor is getting back to is that when you finally break into the kingdom of God, when you finally sense the freedom that exists in Christ, it is a joy that makes the worry, the strain, the striving of religion, the fear of death, the pain of normal life pale in comparison to the joy we have in Christ. So that's the first indication that you've begun to enter or that you've entered into the kingdom of God. Here's the second one. It says, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. See, Zacchaeus goes far beyond what was legally necessary. See, the law demanded that he pay back four times of what he had taken. He perceived what he had done in his normal occupation as robbery. So Zacchaeus was willing to fulfill the law to live up to the old moral standard, but then he offers to go well beyond it in giving half of what he has to the poor. Zacchaeus shows us what happens when grace moves us from legal obligation to joy-filled freedom. He says, I'll go well beyond the law. Well beyond the law. See, in a moment of freedom, Zacchaeus was able to do what years of religion never allowed the rich young ruler to do. See, religion can train us. It can uh, cut certain things out of our lives. Religion can serve a purpose of creating moral, obedient, good people, but it can't set us free. The rich young ruler had been trained to be biblically generous. He had been trained to be uh, loving and kind toward the poor. And yet when Jesus challenged him to do it, he was incapable of it. It made him sad. But in a moment of freedom, Zacchaeus will fulfill the new covenant of grace in a way that the rich young ruler and religious follower can never do. Said another way, don't let your religious people teach your new converts how to act. Zacchaeus is free. So he makes restoration and then he's unbelievably generous. He's restoring what he helped break and he isn't passive about it. No, his repentance is active. He says, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to make it up. He doesn't wait to be accosted by somebody in the street 
No, he moves forward in showing this repentance, this new entry into the kingdom, it's real. At camp, nobody would have looked at the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus and said, I bet at the end of camp, the rich young ruler walks away from camp, walks away from Jesus sad. And no one would have said, I bet Zacchaeus walks away as the one people will point to as a true follower of Jesus. No one would have thought that. But Grace knew something different. And so Zacchaeus begins to run around restoring what he had broken. And every bit of restoration he made was an example of God's grace. It was a, sound, a sign of his newfound humility. And it was a picture of gospel regeneration. Imagine Zacchaeus with his money in, uh, in tow, walking down the streets that he had walked for years. And he gets to the door and he begins to knock on the door. And inside the door is a family wondering, how are we going to pay our bills? And they look through the window and they see the tax collector, Zacchaeus, there. The fear they must have felt, oh no, I thought we already paid our taxes. We can't owe anything else. And Zacchaeus knocks on the door as the family is struggling, wondering, what are we going to do next? They open it reluctantly to see the short little man in front of them. And he goes to them, I stole from you. And I'm so sorry. Here it is. The joy they must have felt in that moment. But then he goes, not just that. Here's four times what I took back from you. And the tears begin to fill the family's eyes. And Zacchaeus just begins walking down the street, passing out grace. And every person who was once afraid to run into Zacchaeus is now overcome with joy as he is a distiller of grace. Our story of camp started in the desert 13 weeks ago. And I said, be careful, because when you go into the desert, you never come out the same. Ever do you come out the same. See, when you go into the desert, God has a way of doing something that will bring you out differently. And some of you, this summer has been that for different circumstances. When we started this series 13 weeks ago, you could have never predicted what was going to occur in your life. You couldn't have imagined it, even just 13 weeks later. And throughout this summer, we've seen the religious grumble. We've seen sinners saved. We've seen the sick healed and the dead resurrected. We've seen the in crowd moved out and the out crowd moved in. Every story has been a flip of what we would have typically expected. And every encounter with Jesus left people either changed, redeemed, or saddened. Not one of our stories had a middle ground. Nobody met Jesus and said, huh, I'll think about it. No, when they met Jesus, something either radically changed and they followed him or the rich young ruler walked away sad. Now, our story is a different story. 
right? It doesn't start with a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. It starts with a humble encounter at the cross. And what happens at the cross? At the cross, we overcome, through the cross, our stature. We look past the crowds of religion, and what do we see? On the cross, we see Jesus seeking us. We see Jesus initiating with us. We see Jesus embracing us before we've done anything good. And when we look at the cross, we see that Jesus can catch us, that he welcomes himself in. And when he seeks us, he finds us. And then as a result of the cross, what do we see? Oh, we see everything we've seen in these stories. We see how Jesus has the authority over evil, that no stronghold can stand against him. We see how Jesus is faithful in every season, which is a good enough reason to leave everything else behind to follow Christ. We see how Jesus has the power to heal and to forgive our sins. We see how Jesus is calling each of us by name. We see how his love trumps religious law. We see how he's interceding on our behalf when we don't have a voice. We see how he sees us when no one else does and he restores lost identities. We see the reign of evil coming to an end. We see the distraught finding hope, the anxious finding peace. And over and over, we see the religious walking away and the sinners finding salvation. So maybe this summer, the freedom of Christ or the conversion wasn't just in a moment, but maybe it's been building for right now. Maybe it's been building in such a way that it's time to find yourself at the cross seeing Jesus's death as the initiation of your salvation and now hearing him call you by name. At camp, when I was growing up, we would have prayed something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know your death on the cross was the payment of my sins. I know your resurrection set me free from the power of sin. So I confess my sin and I believe in you as savior. That's how we would have prayed it at camp. With the faith of children. And you may not be a child, but you may need the faith of a child right now to finally enter into the kingdom. For the rest of us, maybe what this summer has been, it's been a reminder to move from grumbling to joy, to help you become the Christian and to help us become the crowd where seekers can find Jesus. So maybe there's something you got to work out a little bit between you and Jesus.
And you should do that now as we pray. Then we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. And then we're going to come back tonight. And we're going to do it again. Because you don't stay at camp. You leave camp. And the best, the best marketing for next year's camp isn't a flyer. It's kids changed by Jesus. So the best thing we can do, friends, I'm going to put my camp shirt away finally after 13 weeks. And it's time as a church, we do what Jesus did. We go and seek the lost, that they might come to him. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.